And thank you, Micah. Our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station. You can see your teachers there uh, to get you squared away. Second week of Gospel Project and Transformation Station, our new curriculum. So we're excited about that. Heard it went really, really well uh, last week. Well, uh, I'd like to invite the rest of us uh, to open our copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 3 this morning, starting in verse 14. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you there, it's page 977. 977. Let me just say, man, it is, it is uh, the great privilege uh, of my life, one of the greatest privileges, let me say, in my life to serve as one of the pastors of this church. Um, this, is, this is like a, a dream for me, really. Um, uh, just the, the, the prayers that have gone into um, kind of getting to Boston and starting this church and serving a people uh, like you. Uh, there's nothing else I'd rather do in my life than this. Uh, so I don't, I don't say that, um, you know, every Sunday, but it's, it's important for you to hear occasionally. Uh, and I know I speak on behalf of our other uh, pastors, Pastor John Reddy, Pastor John Chastine, who's in India. Uh, we all feel the same way. We love you. It's a joy to serve you. It's a joy to pray for you. And it's a joy to, to, to labor together uh, for what God's doing in this great city. So um, let's be encouraged uh, by the Lord uh, today. And I hope even as we've sung, just that you're kind of basking in, in, in the glow of God's love for us. Um, I know that uh, we all wish it were like 75 degrees and sunny. All right, but, uh, but the next best thing, in fact, the thing that's better than that is, uh, is that the love of God is shining down on us and we can experience his love this morning. Uh, so that's where we're going in Ephesians uh, 3. So let's pray and then uh, we're going to get busy uh, in the text. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into your word, to study it together. Lord, to be transformed by it. Lord, we know that this is not an empty word. Uh, Lord, your scriptures have life-giving power. Lord, whether we may be reading it for the first time or the 10,000th time, uh, God, your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, works with your Word that you've given to us to change us, to make us new. And so, God, we pray that even in these moments that you would do the work that only you can do, uh, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Marcia and I got to go on a little trip early this week. We were invited to a conference called Refresh. And the name of the conference basically tells you the purpose of the conference. Uh, some some uh, uh, pastors started this, uh, and they host them in different locations. This was in, was in the Appalachian Mountains, the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, okay? And uh, so we got to go down there and, and enjoy uh, the, the view and, and a little warmer weather, sorry. Um, but, uh, but they, they have them in different places. They actually want to have one in New England uh, here in September. And so uh, for that reason, they invited a few pastors down from uh, the New England area to come down to experience it. And, and the purpose of the conference was uh, to be refreshed just in, 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 in life and in Christ and, and in what God has called us to in serving him and serving his church. Uh, but also another, another aspect of the conference that I really love was uh, revival, just this idea that God wants to renew his people and to work in, in very clear and magnificent ways uh, among his people. So we should pray for that. We should ask for that. Uh, so we were away uh, at this refreshed conference. We were coming back on the flight. Okay, this is where we're going uh, to get us in the text. And, uh, and Marsha, after we board the plane, she's, she's looking out the window of the plane, and she says, wow, isn't this plane just amazing? 
She's just kind of looking at the wings and kind of checking out, just thinking about how we're about to take off and go through the air and make it back to Boston. And I gotta be honest, okay? I've gotta be honest. At that point, I'm thinking, you know what? You've flown before. I've flown before. What's so awesome about an airplane? You know, we're getting from point A to point B. We're just, we're just doing our thing. But, but what's so amazing about this? And she's kind of going on and on. I'm saying, yeah, 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 let me read my book, you know. So, so we're on this plane and, you know, kind of in my pride, I'm just kind of having that, that perspective until about 40 minutes later, we're up in the air and the captain gets on, you know, the intercom deal and he speaks into the cabin and he says, uh, just want to let you know, you know, the flight's going well and we'll be in the Boston 30 minutes early, which was nice. And, and he says, you know, we're, we're cruising uh, at a speed of 611 miles per hour thanks to this tailwind that's pushing us along. And, uh, and we're about 35,000 feet up in the air. And when he said 611 miles per hour and, and at that altitude, I got to be honest, I'm thinking, wow. I mean, there are 200 people riding on the clouds at a speed of 611 miles per hour, that high in the air, it really is a marvel that uh, many of us have been able to enjoy in our lives to fly on an airplane. Now think about the power that it takes to, to, to get a machine that large with that many people and that much uh, luggage and cargo on a plane up in the air that high going that fast. It takes incredible power. Well, Paul is going to pray this morning in this text for a power that he wants to see God work into the church of Ephesus. And as we look at this power that he prays that they would know and experience, it it gives us a great way for us to pray ourselves as we seek to pray for one another. Because here's the deal, okay? God has given us his spirit. His, his empowering presence that is taking us on a greater journey to a greater destination. But we need his power to be at work in us every single day of our lives. And so what we're going to see as we work our way through these verses is, is an encouragement to pray with passion for others to progress in Christ by knowing what they possess, okay? And what we're going to see here at the outset is that Paul is not praying, okay? It's not bad to pray for circumstances. It's not bad to pray for what's going on around us with our family, with our job, with our homes, and all these different things that God cares about all of that. But, God, but Paul is not praying so much for the external circumstances as he is praying for what is going on inside of their hearts, And so this morning, I want us to think about the life inside, what's going on beneath the surface, what's going on where no one else can see. God wants to work in those places of our life because when when our heart is right before him, it's going to naturally come out on the outside. So let's read these verses together. Uh, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. Here we go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, one, one author has, has said of this text that Paul is like climbing a staircase that he just gets higher and higher in his aspirations for the Ephesians, okay? So, so he prays that they would know a, a power, that this power would be at work in them, and this power would lead to a knowledge of God's love, okay? And then as we know the love of God, that that would then push us into a greater experience of God at work in our lives so that we look like him and think like him and live like him and, and, and want what he wants and, and all of that type of thing. So, so, so I, hope you, I hope you can kind of see this staircase that Paul's going to kind of climb as he works his way through this prayer, that they would be strengthened by power to know the love of Christ, that ultimately they might become more like Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God, as he says at the end of this passage. So that's where we're going in this text. Uh, the first encouragement I want to give you is this. Pray for others to be strengthened by God's power. So verse 14, he starts off and he says, for this reason, okay? He's, he's playing off of everything that he said in the first two chapters. And if you remember last week, he digressed into this parenthetical thought in verse two of chapter three. He begins the prayer. If you want to look back in verse one, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as he's ex explaining that he's in prison on their behalf, he just goes on and he talks about his ministry for them. So now in verse 14, he's picking back up this prayer and, and, and I want you to think about this. Prayer is an act of service for others. Paul cares about these people. In fact, he's, laying, he's willing to lay his life down uh, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of these people. And so uh, he is eager to serve them through prayer. And I hope that we as a church, the people of Redemption Hill Church, that, that we would be a people that are known for prayer. I mean, there are so many things to prioritize in life, right? I mean, can we just be honest with one another? There's a lot to do. The alarm clock goes off, 6 a.m., 6.30. I mean, you gotta get ready. You got a big day ahead. You got a lot of responsibilities at work. You put in a hard day at work. You get home. You tend to some other responsibilities. All of a sudden, man, it's time to go back to sleep. And, and where, where do we leave room for prayer? When do we uh, pray? Not just for what God's doing in our own life, what we see God do in our own life, but what we want to see God do in the lives of others. How often do you pray for those around you? Here's another question. How, how frequently do you pray with those around you? See, I'm really struck by Paul here because if you remember in chapter one, okay, we don't have time to go back through the first two chapters of Ephesians, but he starts off with this long word of praise in verses three through 14. And then what's he doing 15? Anybody remember? That's right, he prays. He prays. And then he has a statement on God's work of salvation in us and then how this work brings us into a new relationship with one another. That's chapter two, summarized in one sentence, I think, one and a half sentences. And then what's he doing? Chapter three, verse one. He starts to pray, right? I mean, so think about this. The apostle Paul, 
the greatest theologian of the early church. You think he had some knowledge to impart to the Ephesians? Man, he could teach them a little Christology. He could teach them a little ecclesiology. He could teach them a little pneumatology, okay? He could teach them moneyology that he wanted to teach them. He could just wax for pages and pages if he wanted to. But no, Paul's praying for them. He's praying in chapter one. He's praying at the beginning of, of chapter three. Uh, this is convicting for me. I don't know about you, but this, I'm just going to be honest. This convicts me. Tanner, how, how much are you like Jesus, as, as Paul was like Jesus, to prioritize prayer for others? Is it a central part of my life? Do I look forward to it? Is it, is it a job or is it a delight? Paul was eager to pray for others. And look at how he prays. It says um, in, in verse uh, 14, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Think about his posture in prayer. Paul says this. He says he gets down on his knees to pray. Do you ever, do you ever hit your knees to pray? Does that thought make you a little uncomfortable? Let me just ask another question. Does it make you uncomfortable that I'm on my knees right now? Huh? Let's be honest. Ah, Tanner, you, you stand up to teach and do your thing. Why are you on your knees? Paul got on his knees to humble himself. He got on his knees to, to, to recognize that, that everything he had in, in his life was dependent upon God. That everything came from God. And so this is a, a position of humility. I mean, uh, men, if, if you've ever uh, asked a, a woman to marry you, you, hopefully you got down on a knee, right? I got down on a knee when I asked Marsha to marry me about 10 years ago. It was a good move. It was a good move. In more ways than one, all right? I think she appreciated it that I humbled myself, got down on my knee, and asked her to marry me. I mean, as citizens do this of, uh, with dignitaries of, 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 of countries, right? We, we, we bow, we show respect and honor. This is a, this is a position of, 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 of recognizing um, authority and, and reverence and, 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 and to depend, right? I mean, getting down on our knees is, it shows hopefully physically what we feel in our heart that we're really desperate for God here. I mean, being on our knees is not a position of power, right? You're down on your knee, man. You're in a position of submission, of, of even weakness. Recognizing that there's a greater power at work. God is able to hear us and he wants to respond to us when we pray. We're gonna talk a lot more about this next Sunday, uh, God willing, but, but I just wanna go ahead and, and, and ask you uh, this morning, are you desperate for God? Are you desperate when you pray? Do you really want to see God move in your life, in the life of others? Prayer expresses our desperation for God. I love what it, I love what it says in 1 Kings 18, okay? Uh, it says that Elijah prayed to God, and he prayed that it would rain because there was a drought. And, and, and what was Elijah's uh, posture in prayer at that point? says he got down on his knees with his head in between his knees and he begged God that it would rain. 
And so this is, this is our posture that we uh, need to have before God, that we would be humble, that we would seek him. I mean, if, if you want to just, if, if you want to ask yourself, hey, is, is prayer really about desperation? Let me just ask you this. When do you pray the most? When do you pray the most? Is it when someone you love is diagnosed with cancer? Is it when you let, were let go at work? You don't know how you're going to pay the bills? That's when, we, that's when we turn to God in prayer the most, right? That's when, that's when the frequency and the intensity of our prayers goes through the roof, right? When we clearly see our need, when we see that our needs outstrip our abilities to come through. And so that's when we depend on God. And I'm just saying, like, why don't we live like that consistently day by day by day? We must humble ourselves before God. But, but listen, not only that, there are some real incentives uh, in, our, in our prayer life that are found right here in verse 14 because we, we bow our knees before the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth is, is named. Okay, so let me give you a couple of incentives to pray. Okay, number one, we can pray with confidence because we come to our Father. God is Father. He cares. There's a relationship of intimacy that we can enjoy with God. But not only that, we come to a God who is sovereign. It says he is the one from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. Okay, that means he is in charge of everything. He is over all things. He is all powerful. And when we come to God, we know that he is in control. So this is, this is Paul's approach in prayer. He's, he's bowing before God, who is his Father, who is over all things, and can come through according to his will. But now let's, let's look at verse 16. What is Paul praying for? He goes down, and this is how he begins to pray for others. He prays that according to the riches of his glory... He may strengthen you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So I want you to, 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 to look at this here. Um, Paul is addressing the inner life, okay? He, he, he understands that human beings are embodied souls, okay? We have a physical body, right? Flesh and blood, right? But we also are spiritual beings, those made in the image of God. We don't just have a body, we have a soul, a soul that is made to, to live uh, for God and with God forever. And so when Paul uh, talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts in verse 17, he's using these terms synonymously. Inner life, heart. He's saying, God, I want you to work in these places that cannot be seen with the physical eye. And what he wants to happen there is, is that um, we would be strengthened with power by God's Spirit. You see, Paul understands that it is, it is the life that is inside that must be transformed by God so that we can experience all God has for us. Now, I want you to just step back and, and evaluate in our culture for a moment. We live in a culture that values the outward appearance, right? I mean, we do all that we can do 
from our diet to workout videos to, to wrinkle cream and Botox and all these types of things. Okay, we, we do all that we can do to, 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 to turn back the hands of time, right? I mean, just anybody watch the Grammys? Any, anyone see some of the actresses and, and actors on there? It's clear that, that we as people, we want to turn back the hands of time. Let me, just, let me just say very, very bluntly, okay? We're, we're all dying here. We're all dying. In fact, we're all getting more ugly, okay? Now, now Marsha's not, all right? But uh, the rest, I mean, wait, you women, I mean, the women, the women are, all right? Let me just, yeah, I, I, yeah. I plan to say that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But you get the point, right? This is, what, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He says um, that we, we do not lose heart, though outwardly uh, we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So, so, so take, take a theology of beauty from the Bible and just put that into your life and, and let it speak to the culture that, yes, uh, it's not that God wants us to, to, to not care about our outward appearance, okay? We want to we be respectable in how we dress and how we look, all right? It's nice to comb your hair and get, you know, whatever. But, but what's more important, right, is that we look beautiful on the inside, that we give attention to our spiritual appearance, And so let me just ask, listen, uh, are you willing to make uh, sacrifices for your outward appearance to the neglect of of your spiritual appearance? God wants us to give attention to to the heart. This is is one reason, by the way, I love hanging out with older Christians, okay? I mean, listen, some some people in their, their, let's just say, 70s, 80s, 90s, okay, They, they may not be in the best physical shape, but spiritually speaking, man, their wisdom, their godliness, their walk with Christ. Man, I want to spend peop- time with people like them who have really walked with God. And so Paul prays that they would look good on the inside. He, he prays that they would be strengthened by power. The word strengthened means to be fortified or braced, invigorated. And this, is, and this is a job that God can do, right? Because what does it say? It says, in accordance to the riches of his glory. I mean, God has, God has all, of, all of the supply he needs to come through on this, right? And so we can trust that if we pray that God would strengthen us, he has everything he needs to get the job done. This will save us, by the way. This will save us from operating in our own strength. Because spiritually speaking, listen, if, if, if we approach our, the Christian life in a way that we are gonna just do it ourselves, we're gonna get really, really tired. We'll become exhausted, number one. And then number two, we will get to the place where if we're not depending on grace daily, we will get to the place where all of a sudden we may look decent on the outside, but on the inside we will just be this hollow shell that is not really living with the power of God. And so Paul says, listen, I want them to be strengthened by the, by the power of God's spirit so that, verse 17, Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. 
So, so for Paul to say, I want Christ to dwell in their hearts is, 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 is another reality of saying, I want him to be strengthened by the Spirit. Okay, the Spirit uh, dwells in us. The Spirit of Christ dwells in us. And when Christ dwells in a person, he, he renovates that person's life to make it look more like his life. You see that? Because I know some of you are asking, like, man, Tanner, why is Paul praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts when they already have Christ dwelling in their hearts, right? Like, once someone puts their faith in Christ and God makes them new by his spirit, we have Christ on the inside. And so what Paul here is praying is that they would, that they would go deeper with Christ, that this would be a continual presence uh, in, in their life, that, that the, the indwelling of Christ would uh, come through to greater degrees. When we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we have everything we need to live our lives for God. But, but it takes Christ dwelling in us, right? Think, think about this. Christ in us becomes Christ through us. You might want to write that down. Christ in us becomes Christ through us. I mean, th- this is a little summary statement of what Paul is praying for in this prayer and really the entire Christian life. Christ dwells in us so that his life might be worked through us as we live our lives for God. So how, how, does this, how does this work? We're praying, God, I pray that Jesus will be strong in, in, in my friends and, and those that are a part of Redemption Hill Church. Um, well, well, one way we do this is by letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us, Colossians 3.16, right? And we, we feast on the word. We, we come together, these rhythms that we talk about, rhythms of word, with, rhythms of prayer, rhythm of community, rhythm of, of serving others, being on mission with God. All of these are means of grace that strengthen Christ who dwells within us. And so Paul is praying a bold prayer. We could say this is an audacious prayer that Paul is praying before God on behalf of the Ephesians, but he doesn't stop there, okay? In verses 17, the last part through 19, uh, he begins to pray that, that, that they would know the limitless love of Christ, which is the second encouragement I have for you this morning. Pray for others to know the limitless love of Christ. You see, we know a lot about a lot of things, right? We live in Boston, after all, right? Boston is the Athens of America, right? I mean, there's, there's just uh, so much knowledge in this city. I mean, there are probably more PhDs in our church than I had even met before I went to college, right? I'm not, I'm not playing, all right? This is, this is a smart city, right? We know a lot about, y'all like that. Yeah, we know a lot about a lot of things. But what sets a person apart spiritually is is how much they know the love of Christ. How well do you know the love of Christ? See, See, Paul, being confident that Christ dwells in their hearts, prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Check this out, verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the height, the length, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so Paul uses these these metaphors of of an agricultural term being rooted and an architectural term being grounded. And he says, 
I want Christ to dwell in your hearts in this way so that uh, even though what is unseen, the, the, the love of Christ being rooted and grounded in you, that as your life grows, people are going to see how amazing God is through your life but it takes being rooted and grounded in love. And then he goes on after we're established in God's love. He says, I pray that they would know the greatness of his love. Verse 18, he says that that I want them to have strength to comprehend this surpassing knowledge. I mean, do do you see the paradox here? Paul wants them to comprehend the incomprehensible. He wants them to understand that which cannot be fully understood. He wants them to grow deeper and deeper, ever increasing in their knowledge of God's love. And so he uses these these, uh, spatial terms, these dimensions about the love of God in Christ. Okay, I love verse 18. It says, um, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Now, we could, we could have some fun with this, okay? And we could say, well, the length refers to this, and the height refers to that, and the depth refers to this, okay? And some preachers and theologians have done that, okay? I think Paul is just using these terms in totality to talk about the whole. He wants, he wants them to get uh, how, how deep and high and wide and deep is the love of Christ, but, but this is one massive, vast enormous reality for us to be showered with as we get to know Christ. And so just think about the Amazon River, uh, if you will. This river, according to my scholarly research, all right, is roughly 4,000 miles long, all right? Guess how wide it is at its widest point when the rain season hits. Guess how wide it gets. Anybody know? You want to take a, take a guess? 24 miles wide. Now, now, now look, at this, look at this next map, okay? The, the river basin covers almost 40% of South America, meaning that the water that flows from the Amazon will, will stretch into about six or seven different countries. Uh, covering almost 40% of the continent. I mean, do you see how far it stretches? Do you think there's anyone that stands on the bank of the Amazon River and says, man, that's weak? Man, that's not not much to be in awe of. I mean, we're not talking 40 feet, we're talking 4,000 miles, right? Look at, look, at the, look at the vast reach of this river. I mean, in the same way, in, the, in a greater way, no one can look at the love of Christ and not be amazed, truly understanding who Christ is and what he has done for us. And say, so, you know what, man, it needs to be a little higher, a little wider, a little deeper, a little, a little broader. Okay, no, one, no one's saying that because the love of Christ is limitless. We can never exhaust the supplies of God's love. So just think about some of the scripture that, that tout the love of Christ. If, if I can just quote a few for you. Um, we, we saw in Ephesians uh, 1, chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, that uh, he, in love, he predestined us for adoption. 
In Ephesians 2, 4, we saw that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Jesus would tell his disciples in John 13, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Christ has done for us. Romans 8 would say that neither high, we sing about it earlier, neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor, nor, nor the present nor the future, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us. He has poured out his love for us in Christ. And so listen to the words of Brennan Manning when he says this, define yourself radically as one beloved by God God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. Okay, so, so, so what Paul is getting at and what Brendan Manning is trying to say is that when we understand this love in an experiential way, okay, not just like a head knowledge, but man, God really loves me and it's really changing me from the inside out and now I'm being filled with his love so that I can turn around and love others. It, it really changes the way we think and the way we live and what we desire and, and you can just fill in any blank that you want. So we need to feast on God's love. We need to, to, to know how much he loves us so that we can be transformed by that very same love, which is where Paul gets to at the very end of his prayer in verse 19 when he says this, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is, this is his prayer for the Ephesians. This should be our prayer for one another, that God would fill us with his fullness. And so we can put it this way, uh, the third encouragement, pray for others to progress through the power of what they possess. Now, I, I know that's a mouthful. I'm going to say it again. Pray for others to progress by knowing what they possess. And so, so what are we getting at here, okay? If we possess a deep and abiding knowledge of God's love, and we allow that love to flood over us day by day and change how we think and change how we live, then Paul says that knowledge will enable us to make progress in Christ. Okay, that, that's what Paul's goal here is. The ultimate goal, goal is that they would be strengthened on the inside, filled with the knowledge of Christ's love, so that they would become more like God. That's what he means when he says, to be filled with the fullness of God. And so just think about a few verses here. When, when God says in the Old Testament, which Peter quotes in 1 Peter 1, be holy for I am holy. This is what Paul means. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, this is what Paul means. When Jesus says, follow me, this is what Paul is getting at. He wants us to be made more like Christ. He wants us to be all God has empowered us to be. So, so very, very simply put, very simply put, at the very top of this list, in terms of us making progress in Christ, I think should be the characteristic of love. As we feast on the knowledge of Christ's love and we are filled with Christ's love, then we are in position to pour out that love to other people, 
to God in return to people who do not yet know Christ. And so as we begin to to wrap up our time in God's word, let me just ask you a few questions. Are you increasing in your love for God? Are you increasing in your love for God's church, your spiritual family? Are you increasing in your love for God's world, those who need Christ? See, this is, this is what Paul is praying for here. He's praying that, that we would be filled with God's love to the point that we would grow in that same love back to God for those around us and for all people. So what I want to do is this. I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there if you want or you can follow along on the screen. And I, and I want to just ask all of us here, including myself, okay, that we would kind of measure our lives in light of the, the wide and the long and the deep and the broad love of Christ, that, that we would measure our love against what we see here in this passage. Because what I love here about 2 Corinthians 5 is that Paul says the love of God is what motivates us, is what controls us, compels us to love others. Okay, so let me read it for us slowly. And I want you just to take this in and pray that God would make this true in your own life. Here we go. This is this. For the love of Christ controls us. Can you, can you say that with me? For the love of Christ controls us. All right, with a little bit of passion this time, right? Love you guys. All right, for the love of Christ controls us. It moves us. It motivates us. It compels us. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you see that love for God? We now no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Do you see how this love controls us to to love others and view others differently? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are his ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, being controlled by the love of Christ. Now, we are his ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, said that in him we might become the righteousness 
of God, let me ask you a question. What is going to move you to greater heights in your love for God? There's really only one answer, and that is the love of God. If you want to grow in your love for God, you must be filled with the love of God. What is going to move us to greater heights of love for one another? To greater heights of love for those who are not yet in Christ? It is the love of God in Christ. So let's pray. Redemption Hill. Let's pray that God would so fill us with his love. By his spirit, he would strengthen our hearts to know his love so deeply that his love would fill us to the point of overflowing in love back to him and to all people, all for the sake of his fame. Let's pray together. God, you are amazing. You are worthy of our time. You're worthy of our attention. You're worthy of us kneeling before you and begging that you would do the work that only you can do. God, we confess today, I confess, and I know the hearts of those that are gathered in this room, they would also say that we are so distracted by lesser loves. We are so distracted by things that carry little eternal weight. So God, we pray that you would capture us with a vision of your greatness, a a vision of how great your love truly is, that we cannot begin to know how limitless it is, and yet, God, you have displayed it in Christ. You have poured it out in our hearts by your spirit so that we can, in turn, love you back and love one another and all people. So God, we pray that during this this season where uh, we are thinking more and more about the cross and resurrection, Lord, that, that your love displayed there would compel us to go and to share your love with, with, with those around us, Lord, friends and neighbors and coworkers who, who need to know of your love. Lord, we know that you can empower every one of us to reach one person during this Easter season. So God, we pray that you would give us the, the grace, the wisdom, the boldness, the love power to make it happen. And God, we ask that as your word has gone forth, that that there's never a time your word goes forth that it doesn't carry power. And so, Lord, even even in these moments this morning, Lord, we trust that your spirit can take these words and penetrate our heart that we might today and tomorrow and the rest of this week and moving forward in our lives might live differently and more Christ-like because of our time here together this morning. Lord, thank you for how you work. Thank you for how great you are. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.